0: I invite you to join me as we walk through uh, the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. You're welcome to turn there in your scriptures and follow along. Now, throughout the ages, as throughout the world, indeed, the church recites the liturgy, Christ is risen, with the response, He is risen indeed. So let us join voice with those throughout our world this day. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is risen Let us pray. Almighty God, who through your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, overcame death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate the joy of this day, of our Lord's resurrection, may be raised with, from the death of our sin by your life giving Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. It is a joy to gather together as God's people on a high feast day, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstfruits of a new creation, in whom we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Being buried with Christ in a baptism like his, we are raised to newness of life in him. United with Christ, we rise in Christ. In the death of Christ, death itself has died forever. The curse is reversed as everything sad is coming untrue. Although, it's hard to live as if the resurrection is true. We see that from the the women who first encountered the empty tomb to the disciples who first hear it, believe in it, an idle tale that Christ had risen, Even Peter, as he races to the tomb to inhabit a newly empty space, and yes, for us today, it can be difficult to live as if resurrection life is true. It's difficult to live in the reality of resurrection hope when sorrow and suffering and death are just woven into the very fabric of our being and existence. When what we see happening in Ukraine is but a sapling of the trees of war that have overgrown the forest of history, I mean, so much senseless hatred and violence in this world. Wretched disease ravishes. Our own hearts are wayward and rebellious. We hurt those we love, and we hurt those we know the least. It's never been easy to believe that resurrection life is true and to be tasted even in this life. It's even more difficult to live as if it is true, even when when faith feels particularly small or weak. So it's here, even at the high feast of the resurrection of our Lord, that our cornerstone of faith can often falter. And in its faltering, we renew a commitment to love. Because it's in this commitment to love, that's what remains when our faith seems weak or small, the commitment to love. See, we hope and we find rest in the truth that there is a resurrection life. That resurrection life will form in us here and now a life of love to be lived out in the kingdom which Christ ushers in. That resurrection life forms in us in the here and now a life of love, the life we were created for. It is as true for us today as it was for the disciples on that glorious day so long ago. Luke 24, beginning at verse 1, reads this way. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone, rolled away from the tomb. On the first day, but on the first day, we have here a new day dawning in Luke 24. Luke's gospel ends uh, with a new day, a new start. It's as if it were a new creation as a whole. See, resurrection hope is more than an anticipation that bodies will be raised physically, though it's not less than that. Resurrection hope is for a restored creation, all of creation, renewed access to God, life that is abundant and eternal, pressing into the present. So what I want to do is from this first line in Luke 24, verse 1, I want us to examine what this first day is, what, we, what it means to be a new day in light of Jesus' resurrection. We'll see that the new day is indeed a new creation. If you, if you scan back to chapter 23, Verses 55 and following. This is after Jesus' death and burial. The women, verse 55, who had come with him from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Right before the account of Jesus' resurrection, we see women having prepared for proper burial They take their Sabbath rest. See, they've been at work, and now they've rested. An an imitation of God finishing his work in six days, resting on the seventh, on the Sabbath. So the women are following creation's pattern here. They rest. Even in the midst of deep sorrow, they find rest. At the tomb, there's another garden scene where we have another Adam who was put into a deep sleep. From him, this second Adam, life is given to his bride, a new Eve. But the rib was not given, this rib was pierced. See, the church celebrates Sabbath rest and worship on Sunday because Jesus was raised at this, the start of a new day, the start of a new week, the start of a new creation. I want us to begin to see the imagery that Luke and the Gospels are giving us at the tomb. It's the image of a new day, of a new creation. And that new creation begins with a new birth. See, the Gospels begin with the birth of Jesus, and they end with a rebirth of Jesus, a resurrection, a resurrection life. If you go back to Luke 23, verse 50 and following, hear this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of a council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to the decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud, laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet ever been laid. And then chapter 24, verse 10, we read this. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. What do we have at the garden here? We have another Joseph, don't we? We have another Mary. At the end of Luke's gospel, we have an echo of the beginning where we have a Joseph and a Mary and a miraculous birth from a virgin womb. Though here it is not a virgin womb that gives birth to our Savior, it is a virgin tomb. Swaddling clothes identified for witnesses, the presence of a Savior born to mankind, but here, the swaddling clothes in an empty tomb mark his absence in that place of death. Verse 12 of chapter 24. Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping, looked, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. See, like the shepherds and the wise men around Christmas they they encountered the Savior's birth. And those witnesses marveled, left in awe. So the witnesses at the tomb, they marvel. They're dumbfounded with awe. For Christ the Savior is reborn, raised from the dead. Peace on earth and goodwill to men is won by the wounds of our Savior. Here is a new nativity, a new birth, not from virgin womb, but from virgin tomb. What we see at the tomb is a new garden. It's a new creation birthed in this new day, as Luke says. And on that first creation... At God, as God rested, what happened was an exile for humanity in their sin. But there's no exile here at the place of death; rather, there's entrance into God's holy presence. Uh, verse twenty, or uh, verse three and four of chapter twenty-four say this: "But when they, the women, went in, they did not find the body of our, the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel." Another image that the Gospels give us at the tomb is that the the tomb has become a temple. What began our Gospel story with Zechariah, a faithful priest, discharging his duties in in faithfulness and fidelity. It ends with priestly service of spices and oils. And in the empty tomb, you have two men appearing in dazzling clothes, a reminder of of, of Jesus as he was changed, dazzling white on the mountain of transfiguration, the Gospel of John pictures these two men as well, these two angels, and they're on either side of this empty stone slab in which Jesus was laid to rest in his death. But it's the image now of a, the inner room of a temple. It was the slab, it was what the Ark of the Covenant was, guarded on two sides by the seraphim, these holy angels. The picture now is of a tomb become a temple. The Ark of the, car, uh, of the Covenant, symbolic of God's holy presence from where God's holy word comes out. These two present in the empty tomb signify that now the tomb has become a temple. The space of death has become the force of life. Even from Isaiah 53, the word had gone out that God's servant would suffer, would be buried with the rich in his death. Called to remember God's word flowing from his temple into the nations. God is present and he speaks, not only from the temple, but from the tomb here. And through his word he brings life. Look at verse 5 and following. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And the women say, well, of course. Now we I mean, who could understand those words? Certainly that first line of those men would have been lost in their bewilderment, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, Jesus was dead. And dead men do not rise. That's why we are here. So the angels remind them, saying, "Even Hey, remember, even when you followed Jesus in Galilee and on the road all the way to the cross, you remember, he told you time and again that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would rise again in three days. He lives, is the word given to these women. Yes, the tomb has become a womb through which we have life. And freedom to dwell with the living God. And I don't want us to miss the irony here because it leads to awe and praise that the, the temple has become, or the excuse me, the tomb has become a temple or a sanctuary. It signifies to us that, like unlike other gods in the pantheon of history, God must enter death in order to conquer death. The tomb for all ages was man's final resting place a silence for any praise and joy. But now the tomb in Jesus Christ has become both temple and womb, access to God and new life. I mean, What God is this who enters our pain and sorrow, who descends to serve, a service to the point of death? This is the God who lives forever, untainted by sin and untouched by death. Risen to reign forevermore. And we are called to hide ourselves with God in Christ Jesus. That is the life of faith and the life of love. We see resurrection life empower the witnesses immediately. In the midst of their confusion, They still, these women still move forth in love. Verse 8. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. How were these women able to bear witness when their heads are spinning in confusion and uncertainty? Well, it says that they understood, and they rise. The Spirit opens their eyes. The eyes of their minds to see. Their hearts are moved in love to respond and their bodies follow. They remember. It's a memory-shaped heart response motivating them to action. They remember the words of their Savior. And also they move because they love the one whom is missing from that tomb. The one who promised these things. And though they can't comprehend, they trust. Enlivened by the Spirit, they serve the risen Christ as they serve his people and they bear witness to this event. They bear witness, reminding them of Jesus' words. So we see that in Jesus' resurrection, I mean, his, his followers are raised to newness of life as well. So we pray for eyes to see, for hearts to love, for resurrection life to invade the present. Followers of Jesus are raised at resurrection morning. Verse 11 and following. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. At the center of this community of faith are these women who bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And they're they're named here. Three of them are named It's so important because in subsequent months and years, people could go and find Mary and Mary and Joanna, remind us of the words of Jesus, remind us of this event. But at this moment, the disciples hear the report and they disbelieve. In fact, probably most who would read this gospel for the first time would not believe this account, and yet it comes from the lips of these women who formed the very heart of Christ's body. The commitment of love moves them to share their faith even if they are confused and their faith seems so small. What's interesting is that each of these first witnesses, they see nothing of the physical body of Jesus. They had to look with eyes of faith. And I contend that their faith was moved to action by love for Jesus. Not only do they remember his words prophesying about his death and resurrection, they return to the tomb where he's apparently not there, a sarcophagus temple, seeking the one whom they love. Isaiah 51 records this, he Look to the rock from which you were hewn for God's people. He says, Look to the rock from which you were hewn. The rock for them was Abraham and Sarah, or back to Adam and Eve. But at this stone tomb, this sarcophagus of rock, another rock is cut the rock from which they are to be hewn now is jesus christ the son the word in hebrew is ben who is the rock the word is eben the son ben from the rock eben who to whom we look as living rocks hewn from his life death and resurrection see peter's on the right track he's looking for the rock from which he himself is to be cut And so even here at the end of this account of the resurrection, we are to look to the rock who is our foundation. As the disciples were raised in Christ to bear witness, so we are living stones, being built up as God's holy temple. We who were dead in trespasses and sins, woven together in the fabric of sin and death, we have become in Christ living stones, bearing witness to our risen King as a living temple. Peter rose, verse 12 says, Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Peter, the apostles, these women, and other witnesses that day, they're the rock upon which Jesus is building his church, the foundation by which his holy temple is to spread throughout the world. They are formed on that new day as a new community of redeemed humanity, newly christened as the body of Christ, as the resurrection community. And see, that is who we are. So we join voice with God's people throughout the world as one global resurrection community. And we, like those in our passage, we might find it difficult to believe at times, difficult to live in light of resurrection. And so we must continue in love for one another as for God, to obey our King, His Word forming us. Like Peter running to the tomb, though he couldn't believe it possible, yet he still ran toward Christ in love. And though he denied Christ three times, he abandoned Christ at his greatest hour of need. It is love that drove him to the tomb in search of his Savior. And at the end of this account, we see it is awe, it is wonder that propels Peter forward into the great unknown to patiently await the coming of the promised spirit after Jesus' ascension, a holy bewilderment propelling a life of worship given for the life of others. And we, like Peter, have no need to fear failure or death because we will fail and we will die daily. And yet Jesus sustains us because he lives and reigns now and forevermore. See, the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ is not that we will avoid all sin and death, but that in sin and through death, we will taste resurrection life in Jesus Christ. And that is what we are calling a world to, a world riddled with sin. We're calling the world to behold Jesus, the risen Savior. We bear witness to the fact that a new day has dawned. And it will come with full, blinding light when Jesus returns to reign, and all will be raised bodily to stand before him as our king and as our judge. And we have to look with eyes of faith, committed to love for Christ and for one another. We trust that all this is true. We no longer look for the living among the dead, for Christ is risen and he lives forevermore. And he promises that all who come to him, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. My compassions never fail. My mercy is new every morning. Today we celebrate the birth of a new creation rooted in Christ Jesus, who was raised from the dead to reign now and forevermore. In love and in awe, we go forth to tell the world the good news. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this, your word, living and active. We thank you that you have given us Jesus, who is raised from the dead, and in him we have hope for resurrection life as well. Press that life and that love into us now, that we might remain curious in awe of who you are and the work that you do in our lives and throughout the world. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.